0: Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a sermon series where we're talking about a problem that every family faces. That's right, it doesn't matter if you are newlyweds that are just starting out, or if you're raising young kids at home, if you're empty nesters, or somewhere in between. Every family faces this problem. And what problem is it? It's conflict. Every family experiences conflict. Or, to put it another way for you, all families fight. But not every family fights fair. So right now, we're talking about some of the things that we do that keep us from fighting fair. And we're also talking about how we can handle the conflict that we have in our families or in any other relationship, for that matter, in healthier ways. So let's get right into this episode sermon. Have you ever heard the story of a horse named Hans? Hans was owned by a gentleman named Herr von Osten from Germany who taught this particular horse how to answer math questions by tapping his right front hoof. And since you don't exactly run into a horse that can do addition every day, word of Hans's ability quickly spread and his fame grew all across Europe in the early 1900s. And the horse became known as Clever Hans, the Counting Horse. But Hans, he was more than a one-trick pony. So his owner, Herr von Osten, taught him how to do more than just add. He taught the horse how to subtract and how to divide, and eventually Hans was even able to master the multiplication tables. So, as you can imagine, Hans became quite the phenomenon. Without his owner uttering a single word, Hans was able to count the number of people that came out and stood in the audience to see him each day. And Hans could count and tell you how many people in that crowd were wearing glasses. And he could answer any math question that the folks in the crowd asked him. So Hans's fame continued to grow and it continued to spread. And eventually Hans was even able to master the ultimate ability that separates human beings from animals. Hans learned language. That's right, the horse learned his ABCs. He learned the alphabet, and by learning how to tap his hoof a certain, time to, you know, a certain number of times to correspond with each letter in the alphabet, Hans was able to answer questions that people asked him about anything that they read in the newspaper or heard on the radio, and he could even answer common questions about history and geography and human biology, which is more than we can say for some people that we know. But Hans continued to make headlines, his fame continued to grow, and he became uh, the main topic of conversations at dinner parties all across Europe. And eventually all of Hans's fame drew the attention of scientists and veterinarians and professors and even cavalry officers who were skeptical about the horse's skills. And this group decided that they wanted to form an official commission to put Hans to the test. They wanted to see if all of Hans's abilities were just some sort of trick or if this horse was a true equine genius. Well, the day of the test finally came, and as you can probably imagine, people came from all over the place to see Hans put to the test. And most of them were skeptical of his abilities. Most of the people in the crowd that day thought that everything that Hans could do was just some sort of clever trick that was orchestrated by his owner, Herr von Osten. So as the crowd assembled that day, in the auditorium they met in, it was standing room only completely jam-packed with scientists and professors and veterinarians and cavalry officers, along with folks like psychics and clairvoyants and just plain old horse lovers who had come to see if Hans' abilities were legit or not. But the canny members of the commission, they were convinced that they were going to be able to expose Hans for what he truly was is nothing more than a trick for everyone in the audience to see because they had a pretty good trick up their sleeve. Remember what I told you just a second ago. Everyone was convinced that somehow Hans's owner, Herr von Osten, was orchestrating all of this. So the commission decided that they were going to ban Herr von Osten from the auditorium that day so that there was no way he could possibly feed his horse the correct answers. And it would leave Hans alone in that auditorium to answer these questions all on his own. So when the crowd had fully assembled, the commission leaders, they turned to von Osten, and they asked him to leave. Well, the surprised owner did as he was asked. He exited the auditorium, and that left Hans alone on stage in front of a suspicious and anxious audience, and that's when the examination began, and the leader of the first commission started out by asking Hans a simple addition question, and the horse, he didn't miss a beat he quickly tapped out the right, no, the right answer for that question. So the commission leader, he moved on to the second question, and Hans got the second question right. They moved on to a third. Hans got that question right, and it continued along that way, and eventually they reached the language questions. And you know what? Hans got all of the language questions correct as well. So the members of the commission that day were completely stunned, and all of Hans's critics were silenced. But the public wasn't. There was a great public outcry that demanded another commission before him to test this horse's abilities again. So once again, the world had to wait as the powers that be assembled a group of scientists and veterinarians and professors and researchers and reporters to put Hans to the test. What was during the second commission that uh, the truth about Hans would finally be revealed But the second commission, it started out very similar to the way that the first commission started, with a simple addition question. But this time, instead of asking the question out loud where everyone in the audience could hear it, the second commission did something different. They had one researcher go up to Hans and whisper a number into his ear, and then they had a second researcher come and whisper a second number. Well, by now, everyone in the crowd had been pretty convinced that Hans would be able to handle a simple addition problem without any hesitation at all. But Hans, he couldn't do it this time. The poor horse was left completely stumped. But how in the world could that possibly be? How could this horse that had seemed to master multiplication and division one day be stumped by a simple addition problem the next? Well, it happened because the Second Commission finally got to the heart of the matter. They finally understood why Hans had been able to answer all of these problems in the past. And it actually had absolutely nothing to do with this horse's mathematical abilities. The truth of the matter is that it didn't matter what question the researchers or anyone else asked Hans. He wasn't paying any attention to the questions that they asked him at all. Hans was always focused on something else instead. Hans was always focused on the people and the audience around him. And when, when the, the, the crowd around him knew the answer to the question that Hans was asked, Hans never hesitated. He could quickly answer any question that was asked of him. But when the members of the audience didn't know the correct answer for the question that Hans was asked, the horse couldn't do it. He was left stumped. And that's because Hans was never taught how to add or subtract or multiply or divide or answer any language questions. Instead, Hans had been taught to carefully watch the behavior of the people in his audience. So what that means, what that looked like is, whenever an audience asked Hans a question, people in the crowd would naturally tense up, awaiting to see if this horse could actually answer the problem correctly. And when Hans had tapped out the right number for his response with his hoof, the people in the crowd would release some of that tension. They would let out a breath that they had been holding. They would relax their muscles just a little bit. And Hans's owner, Herr von Osten, had taught the horse to pick up on these subtle behavioral cues and to stop tapping, stop tapping his hoof immediately. Therefore, it looked like Hans could answer any question that he was asked Simply by watching the way that his audience behaved. Now, that's a, a fascinating story, but what in the world does the story of Hans and Herr von Osten have to do with us? Well, right now at Melbourne Heights, we are in the middle of a sermon series where we're talking about a problem that every family faces. That's right, every family faces this problem. It doesn't matter if you are newlyweds that are just starting out. It doesn't matter if you've got young kids at home. It doesn't matter if you're empty nesters or if you are anywhere in between. Every family faces this problem. And what's that problem? Well, it's conflict. Every family experiences conflict. Or to put it another way for you, all families fight. All families fight but not all families fight fair. So what we're talking about at Melbourne Heights right now is how the things that we do that keep us from fighting fair, and we're also talking about ways that we can handle the conflict that we have with our families or anyone else that we care about, for that matter, in healthier ways. And this story of Hans and Herr von Osten, it actually illustrates one of the things that a lot of us do that keep us from fighting fair with the people that we love the most. In this story, Hans and his owner, von Osten, have become masters of misdirection. And by using misdirection, they are able to convince thousands upon thousands of people that Hans can add, subtract, multiply, and divide when all the horse can really do is watch the behavior of people. And when it comes to the conflict that we have with our kids, with our parents, with our partners, with our spouses, or anyone else in our lives many of us become masters of misdirection as well. Here's what I mean. A lot of us don't like to deal with conflict directly. So instead, we like to beat around the bush, we like to give off subtle hints and subtle cues that something's going on that's made us upset, and we just hope that whoever it is that we have a problem with or that we're upset with will somehow figure out that we're mad with them or mad at them so that means that we don't fight fair when we refuse to deal with a problem head-on. We don't fight fair when we refuse to deal with a problem head-on. And we actually have a term for this type of behavior, this behavior of <laughs> refusing to deal with a problem head-on. We call this behavior passive-aggressive behavior. And passive-aggressive behavior is kind of like regular old aggressive behavior sneaky cousin. Passive aggressive behavior is kind of there but it's kind of not. You might be able to see it but you're not sure what you actually saw. So passive aggressive behavior is kind of like that coworker that you have that would never in a million years bring a problem directly to your face. But the same coworker when he he or she has to send off an important email to the entire company, they don't have a problem with leaving your address off of the message. Or passive-aggressive behavior is like when you have a spouse that is always punctual for everything, but they can't ever seem to make it out of the house on time when it's your turn to pick the movie for date night. So, yeah, sometimes there are logical explanations for why these things happen, but a lot of the time, there's not. And for those of us that are passive-aggressive, it's not always easy for us to even understand when we're exhibiting this kind of behavior. So let's take a minute and let's talk about what passive-aggressive behavior looks like. And this behavior, it all starts from the same place. It all comes from a point where we are just simply uncomfortable with addressing a problem or a conflict that we have directly. And since we're uncomfortable addressing this problem directly, we have to come up with another way to address it. So instead of being direct in the way we address it, we are passive in the way uh, way that we address it. Therefore, it is passive-aggressive behavior. And what does this look like? Well, if you are a passive-aggressive kind of person, then you're the kind of person that will never admit when you're angry about something, even when it's clear to everyone around you that something's got you upset. And if you're a passive-aggressive person, you will withdraw from anyone that you're having conflict with. And that means that if you're passive-aggressive, you are probably a master of using the silent treatment to try to get your way. If you're passive-aggressive, when you do have to communicate with the person that you're experiencing conflict with, you will never talk with them directly face-to-face. Instead, you're more likely to send them a text message or an email, leave a message on their answering machine or voicemail, direct message them on social media, or sometimes you'll even stoop down to sending out anonymous letters. If you're passive-aggressive, you may be overly cooperative to someone's face. And you may promise them the moon when they ask you to do something for them. But as soon as their back is turned, you become completely uncooperative altogether and you don't do a single thing that you said you would do. And if you're passive aggressive, you are great at making excuses for all of your behavior. You never have a problem with coming up for a reason why you couldn't possibly be wrong and why the other person couldn't possibly be right. So that's what passive-aggressive behavior looks like. And just from that little description, it should be enough for all of us to realize that any and all of this behavior is going to keep us from fighting fair. Any and all of this behavior is going to keep us from having healthier conflicts and healthier relationships. I mean, just think about it for just a second. If you are the kind of person that gets is upset with your spouse because they somehow always manage to use up the last drop of toothpaste in the tube, but they never bother to replace that tube of toothpaste when they're finished with it? Well, you're never going to uh, solve that problem if you're always giving them the silent treatment. Or if you're uh, a passive-aggressive person and you're upset with the curfew that your parents set for you, you're never going to be able to come up with a win-win solution to the problem if you ignore all of their text messages. Or if you're a passive-aggressive person and you have, one of your kids asks you to play board games with them every night, and you always come up with an excuse for why you can't do that, well, you're going to damage the relationship if you're always telling your kid that you need to walk the dog or empty out the dishes instead of being able to spend some time with them. So, if passive-aggressive behavior, if it's what keeps us, one of the things that keeps us from fighting fair, then what's the alternative to this kind of behavior? Well, the Apostle Paul, who is the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, is going to tell us a story in the scripture passage that we're going to be looking at today that shows us the alternative to passive-aggressive behavior. And the passage that we're going to be looking at today, it comes from Galatians chapter 2. But before we start reading this passage together today, let me take just a minute and tell you a little bit more about the people that Paul was writing to. So, Galatia was a Roman province that was located in the central part of Asia Minor. And according to the book of Acts, Paul travels through the area of Galatia on all three of the trips that he takes across the Roman Empire to share the good news of Jesus. And on one of these journeys in particular, Paul gets sick along the way, and he has to stop in Galatia to recover from his illness. And while Paul is there, he's able to share the good news of Jesus with the people that are taking care of him in Galatia, and he's even able to start a church there. But Paul also understands that his calling is not to settle down in any one area. Paul is called to go out and continue to spread the good news of Jesus as far as he can and with as many people as he possibly can. So that means that Paul can't settle down in Galatia. He's going to have to leave this area. But just because Paul leaves Galatia, that doesn't mean that he leaves the people of Galatia behind. Instead, Paul stays in communication with them by sending them letters and receiving them from the church in Galatia. And Paul is always available whenever the Christians, whenever the church in Galatia has a problem. And in the story that we're going to be reading today from Galatians chapter 2, the people there are having a pretty big problem. There are people that have come to this area that Paul refers to as agitators. And these agitators have come to the church in Galatia, to the Christians in Galatia, and they're telling these people that they are not really following Jesus. These agitators are telling the church in Galatia that if they really want to follow Jesus, then all of the people, all of the members of the church need to obey and observe the Jewish law. So the agitators are telling the Christians in Galatia that they need, that all of the men inside of the church need to be circumcised, that everyone in the church needs to keep kosher with the things that they eat, and that everyone inside of the church needs to observe the Sabbath, and that they need to celebrate all of the Jewish festivals every single year. But there's a pretty big problem with all of this. Because not only is what these agitators telling the church in Galatia, contrary to everything that Paul had told them as he was starting the church there, what these agitators are telling the Christians in Galatia about their faith is also contrary to the very gospel of Jesus itself. And that's because the gospel tells us that the only thing that we have to do to be saved is to believe in Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. So in the passage that we're going to read in Galatians 2, Paul's going to tell the church there a story about a time where he had this same argument, the same dispute about what it means for the Gentiles to be saved with another leader in the early church. And Paul has this dispute with a guy named Peter. And Peter, of course, is one of Jesus' first followers. And since we're talking about what we need to do to fight fair with our family today, I want you to pay attention to how Paul deals with the conflict that he's having with Peter. So let's take a look at the story that Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 2. We'll start reading together in verse 11. Here's what Paul writes. But when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterwards... When some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, I said to Peter in front of all the others, Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? So did you see how Paul dealt with the conflict that he was having with Peter in the story that we just read? When Paul starts having this conflict with Peter, does Paul start giving Peter the silent treatment because he's upset with him? Does Paul leave the table that he's sitting at at the dinner party when Peter's refusing to eat with any of the Gentiles and go to another table at that dinner party and tell all of the guests seated around that table about how poorly Peter is behaving? Does Paul try to trick Peter into eating like a Gentile in front of all of his Jewish friends by slipping a little bit of bacon into his Caesar salad? Of course not. Paul doesn't do any of those things. And Paul, instead, Paul tells us that he goes directly to Peter to address the problem that he's having. Paul goes directly to Peter, and he tells Peter that he's upset with the way that Peter is behaving. Paul goes directly to Peter, and he calls him out for going back on his word about the way that Gentiles should be treated. Paul goes to Peter, and he calls him out because the way that Peter is acting is leading other believers astray is his hypocrisy causing other people to misbehave and when Paul does all of this he's doing exactly what Jesus tells us to do when we face conflict as well in Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 Jesus tells us this if your brother or sister sin against you go and correct them when you're alone together and you know what I'm sure that Peter wasn't happy about any of this. I'm sure that Peter didn't like it when Paul went to him and called him out for the way that Peter was behaving. But you know what else? I also think Peter appreciated the fact that Paul was willing to come with him and address this issue directly. I'm sure that Peter appreciated the fact that Paul didn't run around behind his back complaining and whining about everything that Peter was doing. I'm sure that Peter appreciated the fact that Paul cared enough about him and their friendship to deal with this issue head-on and to have the difficult conversation that needed to follow. And you know what? The same thing is true for us when we're dealing with conflict with our kids, with our parents, with our partners, with our spouses, or with anyone else in our lives. We may not like it when somebody comes to us and they tell us that, we're up, that they're upset with us. And we may not be happy when somebody calls us out for something that we've said or something that we've done. But we also appreciate when someone is willing to come to us directly and talk with us about a problem that they have with us. We appreciate when someone comes to us and they tell us what's going on instead of leaving us walking around on eggshells because we know we've done something that's made them upset But we have no idea exactly what it was. So, if we want to have healthier relationships, if we want to have healthier conflicts, we have to fight fair. And if we want to fight fair, we have to be direct. If we want to fight fair, we have to be direct. And that means that we have to be willing to go to a person that we're upset with or a person that we have a problem with and talk directly to them. We have to be willing to go to them face-to-face and explain to them clearly what it is that has happened that has made us upset. And then we have to be willing to have the conversation that follows no matter how uncomfortable or how difficult it may be. And yes, These conversations won't always be easy conversations to have. These conversations will be hard. And yeah, sometimes these conversations won't resolve the problem that you have entirely. And sometimes these conversations won't resolve the problems that you have at all. And a lot of the time, these conversations will never go the way that you envision them going, but these conversations are always worth having. And these conversations are always worth having because you will never be able to solve a problem until you know what it is. You'll never be able to solve a problem until you know what the problem is. Now, I wish I could stand up here this morning and tell you that there are three steps that you can follow that will help you have these difficult conversations and deal with these problems directly. Or I wish I could stand here and give you a a 10-point checklist that will help you resolve any problem that you have with a person face-to-face. But the truth is, conflict doesn't work that way. There's not a step-by-step process that you can follow through every single time that will always lead you to a win-win solution and to healthier relationships in the end. But Like I said, these conversations are still worth having. Even though they'll be difficult, even though they'll be messy, even though they don't always lead to the solution that you want. So if you want to have those healthier relationships and fight fair with your family, you've got to leave the passive-aggressive behavior behind. You've got to be willing to tell somebody when you're upset with them instead of beating around the bush. You have to be willing to talk to somebody face-to-face and giving, instead of giving them the silent treatment or only dealing with them through text messages or emails. You have to be willing to set aside all of the pettiness and bitterness that we sometimes carry into these relationships and deal with problems head-on. And when you're willing to do that, when you're willing to address these problems head on, it may not solve all of the problems, but it is going to help you have healthier relationships with the people that you love and care about the most. And you'll also find that it helps you fight a lot more fair with your family. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we are just thankful as always for the chance that we have to worship you and we thank you for the message and reminder that we've heard today God you know God that one of the things that keep us from fighting fair is our unwillingness to address problems that we have directly God you know that far too many of us prefer to lean on passive aggressive behavior where we act out and simply hope that the person that we're upset with will eventually figure out what's going on but God that's not the way that you want us to handle conflict You want us to deal with things directly. It's what Paul did when he was dealing with the situation with Peter. It's what Jesus tells us to do when he's teaching inside of the Gospels. And it's even the way that you handle the problem of sin in this world by sending your Son to come directly to us to deal with the issue. So God, let us follow your example. Let us be willing to go to people and talk with them face-to-face. Let us be willing to have conversations no matter how difficult and uncomfortable they may be. Let us be willing to work to keep our relationships as healthy as we can and to try to fight fair with the people we love the most. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's sermon has challenged you to be more direct when you're experiencing conflict in any of your relationships, because yeah, you're never going to be able to solve a problem until you know what that problem is. Now in our next episode, we are going to be finishing up the sermon series talking about how we can fight fair in our relationships. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when that episode drops next Tuesday morning. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And while you're there, make sure that you leave a rating and review for us because those ratings and reviews, they help spread the word about this podcast to other people. Also want to remind you that you can join us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. on online for our worship service. We worship at mhbclouisville.com slash live, and we would love to have you with us. So until next time, I hope that you guys have a great week. I'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.